Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Little White Lies awards the extraordinary documentary For Summer five stars, calling it one of 2019's most essential films. Fosama offers a unique female perspective on the conflict in Syria, while also underlining the vital role that journalism plays in bringing these horrors to light, as well as the moments of joy that can be found among the ruins. A baby girl, Sama, smiles and giggles as bombs rain down from above. Her mother, Wad al-Khatib, takes on the task of filming the devastation as a memento for her daughter and the wider world. Nationwide previews of Fosama have already begun, and they include Q&As with its co-directors, Wad al-Khatib and Edward Watts. Welcome to A Truth in Movies Venice Film Festival Special. This episode, Joaquin Phoenix plays the Clown Prince of Gotham in The Joker. Steven Soderbergh socks it to the Fat Cats in The Laundromat. Roy Anderson's beautiful, bittersweet treatise on humanity about endlessness. And it's the Battle of the Superhunks in David Michaud's The King, all here on A Truth in Movies Venice Film Festival Special. Film Festival 2019. I'm here with my friend and colleague Christina Newland. Hello. And uh, we're going to be talking about some movies we've seen. It's the final Wednesday of the festival. Christina is going to be heading off today and I'm heading off tomorrow. We've seen plenty already. Some good, some great, some not so good. And we're going to sort of talk about some of the highlights with you today. We're sat out on the sort of main festival campus. It's eight o'clock in the morning and people are coming out for the first screenings of the day. We're actually sat in front of one of the big outdoor screening rooms. So let's get down to business and talking about the movies. First up, I think we should address the problem that is The Joker by Todd Phillips, which was probably the most sort of ritzy gala here at the festival. Certainly one of the most talked about films, one of the most divisive. The film sees Joaquin Phoenix playing uh, a character who initially seems very similar to the kind of comic book archetype of the Joker and the film kind of threads him into the world of the sort of DC universe, the Batman universe, I guess, and pitched as a very different type of comic book movie. Do you think that's a fair description? Yeah, I do. I know that we profoundly disagree on this movie. I think that it's no accident that Arthur Fleck is called Arthur Fleck because when you look at the ways in which it's influenced by Taxi Driver and the influence for that, which was a bit of an unhinged guy called Arthur Bremer Jr., who enacted some vigilante violence, attempted assassinations, 
this is very much in the mold of Taxi Driver, maybe even too much so. But having said that, it definitely is something new, I think. You say Taxi Driver, but one of the other comparison pieces that a lot of people have been talking about this film, in fact, most reviews I've read cite Taxi Driver, but also King of Comedy. And there is a sort of sense that Todd Phillips has been watching a lot of Martin Scorsese. Do you feel that this is maybe a, his attempt at something like a gritty 70s Scorsese film? I think that any movie suffers by comparison to those ones. And certainly there have been so many filmmakers who have tried and failed to imitate Scorsese. So, you know, that is a pitfall to be aware of. But I also think that this does something interesting, this idea of this really maladjusted, I'm going to go ahead and say it, incel type of character. It asks of us to sympathize with him to some extent, to understand the conditions that have led to his behavior including social welfare being cut in the city of Gotham and him not being able to get access to his psych meds. And I think that's a kind of interesting idea that is used in Scorsese a lot in terms of, you know, when you look at the ends of Taxi Driver and King of Comedy, you see these very, very maladjusted men who, in their own minds, have reached some level of success. And I think this is almost like a corollary to that. One of the things I I like about Taxi Driver is that Travis Bickle in that film is very... He has his own very strange and unique definition of what society is and what things are failing him. And the sort of motif in the film is that he is seeing the sort of scum of the streets in the back of his taxi. And he's sort of seeing these quite random examples of degradation and and the things that are causing him to snap. Whereas I think in The Joker... The idea of society is much broader. It's about the police and hospitals and healthcare and neighbours and buildings and town planning and mayors and corruption and government. And for me, it almost ticks off all those sort of boxes to sort of show how this society is failing Arthur Fleck, who is played in the film by Joaquin Phoenix in a kind of... If we're sort of doing comparisons, Joaquin Phoenix's performance harks back to his work with... Thomas Anderson and the anxieties of the master and the sort of weird wacky unhingedness of his role in Inherent Vice. Did Joaquin's performance work for you? It's interesting because when you read some of the first reviews out of Venice people seem to be quite torn on whether it's the worst he's ever been or the best he's ever been and I can understand why in that it's a very big performance. He has to commit to doing this maniacal laughter which is so kind of you know the legendary characteristic of this comic book character manages to kind of make what on paper doesn't seem very convincing it like a condition a little bit like Tourette's syndrome and it's like it's being forced out of him like it's ripped out of him and the physicality of it like he really is kind of extremely thin he looks ill and um, he looks kind of sunken everything about him is despairing and sad looking and I think it's an incredible performance and I think because he's so thrilling and because you're kind of unsure of what he's actually going to do next and he kind of zigs when you expect him to zag that kind of pins it all together for me I think. I think that's maybe the the, the key splitting point between us is that I felt watching the film I kind of knew exactly where he was going to go next this kind of idea of spontaneity and him being this this sort of rogue element in the film someone who could turn on a dime and do something really nasty it just wasn't there for me everything felt very sort of teed up and foreshadowed and you always knew the extent of how bad he was going to be or the point he was going to flip or how far he was going to take an obsession and it felt just very contrived in its plotting and a lot of the characters 
were very cliched versions of like people who have a single trait and they are kind of punished for a very sort of simple obvious almost binary reason I guess the film has caused a lot of outrage in terms of this idea of will people copy what he's doing or take his politics and apply it to their own lives I guess it's this bigger question of can movies have a literal effect on the viewer and and change minds and worst case scenario cause violence and uh, I felt that all the people Arthur Fleck kills in the film you're almost told that they deserve it these kind of petty transgressions against him it's almost saying yeah it was okay that he did this and it was all for the cause of a bigger revolution but yes it's a debate that will I'm sure will rage on I mean the question of whether movies can cause social harm or encourage violence there have been a small handful of movies I think throughout history that have done that probably like Birth of a Nation being the most you know sort of notorious but we just can't hold movies responsible to that extent to what you know people are going to do or how they're going to react and the way you know things are at the moment I think that you know we're in volatile times and it's possible that somebody may look at this film and go ape shit, but if it wasn't this film would it be another film you know it's kind of straying into the territory of moral guardianship and it's not something that I'm really interested in. Also, I think that when a film is, of course we disagree on this, but I think the film's really effective, and when a film is effective, then we're kind of calling it morally irresponsible because it's successful at what it's doing, because it's going to convince people of, of something or another, is sort of... Um, Contradiction. Yeah. I think we're going to be talking about Joker for a long, long time. It's coming out in cinemas soon, and I believe it's going to be on one of our regular editions, so we'll get to drill deeper then. But um, let's move on to our next film, Steven Soderbergh's The Laundromat. So The Laundromat is the new film by Steven Soderbergh, his second in 2019, following High Flying Bird from earlier this year. It's another Netflix film. It's his take on The Panama Papers, which was a 2015 info dump of clients of a Panamanian law-slash-accounting firm who were essentially using their services to avoid paying lots of tax and in the uh, process making lots of money. It's almost like a bit of a sketch piece. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it sets itself up with the two founders of, I think it's called Mossack Fonseca, this Panamanian firm, played by Antonio Banderas and Gary Oldman. And they use kind of direct address to lead the viewer through the wider story of their kind of fall from grace, so to speak, uh, throughout various people that this thing is affected by and various people who've made money from it. And it's framed as, I think it's five secrets. So it's like secret number one, and it explains what a shell company is. So it's all very kind of meta and all very kind of geared towards in a lightly humorous way at times, helping the viewer to understand these complex financial things and the way that offshore companies work and avoid taxes. And you have a host of stars. Soderbergh tends to be able to like draw in the big stars. So you've got Meryl Streep as a kind of doddery Midwestern retiree who is on a pleasure barge with her husband and it is tipped over and a lot of the people on the boat die. And her kind of search for restitution is almost like her entering down the rabbit hole of this world of shell companies and fake companies and people just sat in a little room on a tax haven somewhere just answering a phone and stamping pieces of paper there's no sense that she is the person who uncovers it it's more of a kind of we're sort of following her as the sort of simple working class woman who is trying to get her head around this super complex 
It's not quite fraud, but it feels like it's close to fraud. The tone of the film is a strange one, I thought. How would you describe the tone? Sort of pithy and very kind of punchy and direct. It wants you to know very clearly how it feels and how you should feel about this. Right up into the conclusion where it really kind of goes like, what are you going to do about this? Kind of, you know, very um, polemical, I guess. Did the film work for you? Yeah, I liked it. I did enjoy it. I thought it was really interesting as a film person could have no claim to really understanding what Panama Papers were or what the repercussions of it were. So it was interesting in that respect. And I thought Meryl Streep's performance was um, particularly some of the interesting stuff she does towards the conclusion was, I don't want to give anything away. It's really good. She kind of crops up in various ways in the film. She plays another character as well. I don't know if that's a spoiler to say that, is there? I think Soderbergh has quite an abiding interest in like capital flow, money, economics. And I think looking back at his other films even something like his Ocean's Eleven film he's, he does have that interest in like where the money is and how you get it where people put it and keep it and he's an amazing I guess movie insider when it comes to talking about the sort of secrets of the film industry as well and film funding his work with Netflix now he's making these films really quickly and quite cheaply and you know he really knows the economics of film and um it's, it feels quite apt that he's made this film, even though for me, it's maybe one of his slightly lesser work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Okay, up next, we have a film that I believe both of us are rather fond of. It's by the Swede Roy Anderson, and it is called About Endlessness. Can I pass the buck to you to describe this one? It's quite a task. It's basically this mosaic of God knows how many stories about a huge variety of people across time and space. Some of them are very incidental little things, sort of banal situations of a woman pushing a pram and her high heel breaks or something like that. And then others are set in a Nazi bunker or an overhead shot of a ruined city with a kind of spectral phantom-like couple floating over the cityscape. So you really have this huge variety of subjects. They get a larger sense what connects all those little things together is this kind of profound questioning of God and godlessness 
and what makes life worth living and touches on war and family and male aggression even. It's extremely hard to describe, I'm finding, as I'm talking about this. I totally agree. It's a toughie. If anyone's seen any films by Roy Anderson, that will give you a, a bit of a sort of leg up into what it is he's doing. He sort of straddles the world between like a sketch comic and a conceptual artist, and his films don't have a narrative or story. Sometimes he has recurring sketches, as you would have in a sketch comedy. You'd have a character who recurs. In this one, you have a, a man who has a dream about being crucified and then later it's revealed that he's a priest who's lost his faith and he, he is trying to come to terms with that in various different ways. One of the things about the film is, and Roy Anderson in general, is that he, I think he's known to be a, a kind of comic filmmaker and his previous films, like A Pigeon Sat on a Branch, Reflecting Existence and You the Living and Songs from the Second Floor, always had a kind of comic aspect to them where there was a, a scene and the scene ended with a punchline but I think what he's done here is he's really kind of concentrating what he does into something very very pure and very beautiful and moving it's easily his most moving film he's kind of removed the punchline aspect so the setup ends up being the focus and the thing and sometimes that in itself is much more moving one of the sketches in here that I particularly adored was one in which a couple are in a bar and a waiter pours some champagne and the woman sips the champagne and she's clearly loving the champagne and, and then it ends and it's just like this vision of pure pleasure and uh, you also have there's another sequence as well in which it takes place outside a little cafe and three young women just start dancing to the music playing in the cafe and that's it and, then, and it's just it's just really beautiful happy times and uh very moving and it has this kind of almost link to a lot of classical cinema I think in the way that it just tries to leech off this idea of what is a pleasurable thing to look at and hear and experience so do you think this could be in with a chance for the big one the big prize here I would like to think so but Roy Anderson did win the Golden Lion the other year for a pigeon sat in a branch so I don't know I don't know if they'd give it to him again it'd be nice I'd kind of like him to get it for this one as well. I mean, it's definitely one of my, my highlights of this festival, along with James Gray's Ad Astra, which we talked about in the last episode. OK, let's move on finally to a film that I'm sure all of our listeners are going to be interested in, which is The King by David Michaud. As I said at the top, it's the Battle of the Superhunks in that in the red corner we have Timmy Chalamet as uh, Prince Hal. 15th century monarch with a uh, attractive East London hipster bowl cut and then in the blue corner we have the Dauphin of France played by Robert Pattinson with possibly the greatest funny French accent in the history of cinema and a kind of almost Kurt Cobain-ish bleach blonde bob. Do you think that's a fair summing up of, uh, of the film? <laughs> well I'm just going to go right in here and say this is a film that's really easy to make fun of. I mean, I happen to think it's slightly aware of the fact that it can present as quite silly when you've got this mannered 15th century language. But I think that it succeeds on a lot of levels. I love that the cast is so young. I read something um, where David Misha had said, you know, people died really young in medieval times. We imagine kings as being these kind of older, stately men. But really, King Henry V died in, when he was like 35 or something. So, you know, when you're looking at these guys, they are just like these young, impulsive guys in charge of these vast armies. And the other thing that I love about it is how tactile it is. I think the production design of it, the costumes, it looks kind of naturalistic and dirty and real. 
And the set piece of the film is the Battle of Agincourt. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of my favorite parts. I guess the narrative kind of hinges on it, kind of builds up to it. And it's all kind of set in this muddy field. It's been a rainy night. And the English are really outnumbered by the Dauphin's army. And they manage to use the mud to their tactical advantage. Two men are grappling on the ground and you can't really tell them apart or see anything aside from mud. People drowning in it and bleeding in it. And it's just got this really awful tactile feel to it. I was watching this and rethinking uh, back to the days of my uh, history degree and studying Agincourt and the primary sources and uh, talking about all the um, the battle tactics there. I actually think I wrote an essay on longbows versus the uh, French crossbows and why why the longbows were so much better because you had the range. And it kind of goes into some of that those battle tactic details. But for me, I got to say, I thought Chalamet w- was a bit of a bust as a regent. His performance just didn't work for me it felt very kind of showy and um, maybe that he was trying a little bit too hard maybe sort of focused too heavily on maintaining his slightly posh English accent and I totally get you with the aesthetic side and and I think the battle scene is interesting and certainly that kind of mass huddle they get into where it's just there's a sort of overhead shot where it's where the frame is completely filled with bodies but yeah it just takes a long time to get there and, and and there's a lot of going through the sort of historical epic cliches as well, such as the big battle speech and the treacherous side players and the, the arguments against the evil cleric. And, you know, it's, it's, I think that's the thing that maybe didn't do it for me is that I wish I'd seen the film that Robert Pattinson was in or thought he was in rather than the film that Timothy Chalamet thought he was in, which is the film that David Michaud has tried to make, which is a quite a sort of po-faced, serious historical battle film. I think you were saying yesterday that you maybe saw a bit more humour in the whole thing. Yeah, I think there are moments. There's a sort of part where the cleric that you mentioned is talking at length about some quite dull political matter and Chalamet cuts him off. I can't remember what the line is, but cuts him off in quite a contemporary way as if to say, I'm bored. And kind of, in a way, it's sort of a nod and wink to the audience because going through the procedural internal politics of the court is a little bit dull. And definitely the film picks up momentum in its second half, mm. for sure. But yeah, in terms of the humour, also, I mean, the Pattinson performance is almost camp. It's right that it just seemed like he's been teleported in from a different film. Someone mentioned Klaus Kinski, mm. which not, is not far off. His accent is like Pepe Le Pew has been mentioned and Allo Allo. These kind of funny French accents signifies through modern contemporary culture. He's kind of bringing those to the table and, and you know, all power to him, I think. Right, I think... Um, the lines are forming for our next movie, your final movie of the festival, in fact, because you're heading off today. So I just want to say, Christina, thanks very much for having us. And um, this has been a seven digital production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 